IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On the show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about Big Thief, Mitski, and Post Malone. What a trio. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He can't wait to hear about my colonoscopy, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? You know, a couple of weeks after we, you know, pledged to appeal to us to a to a younger demographic, I'm glad we gave up any sort of pretense of that. Like, I think we're get, inching that much closer to my dream of having those like Frank Thomas and Doug Flutie dick pill commercials that I always see on non-streaming TV air during IndieCast. I think we're really coming into our own here. Well, look, I bring this <laughs> up. I, I, I had a colonoscopy. It was yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday. I had it on Wednesday. And I'm bringing it up because, yeah, we're trying to appeal to a younger demographic, but I know <laughs> that we have the middle-aged indie rock fan who listens to this show. And I want to do a little PSA out there that if you are 45 years or older (laughs) that you should be screening for colorectal cancer it is a serious thing you need to do it i did it it wasn't that big of a deal uh you have to uh drink this solution that uh basically cleans you out so that's not that fun and you can't eat for like an entire day before you do the screening which is also not very fun but the actual process itself, not a big deal. And look, colorectal cancer, it is nothing to take lightly. You need to take it seriously. So I, I'm trying to use my platform for, for good here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, doing a PSA for colonoscopy. So uh, maybe we can get a sponsor uh, yeah. from uh, the colonoscopy industry. You know, now that we have taken a stance that we are pro colonoscopy we've we've officially come out as pro doing colorectal cancer screenings we can maybe get some of that like medical money (laughs) pumping into this show there's a lot of medical money out there i think this could be a good business for us yeah or we could just like kind of stick with the uh remember some guys 45 year old thing and do the frank thomas doug flutie commercials like which by the way like those air like constantly on tv it's like what my my youth is just being completely used against me because I used to think those guys were the shit and now they're on a golf course like telling a guy like hey man uh yeah this is the reason your wife doesn't want to have sex with you anymore you gotta take these pills bro so hey, yeah we we're, we're 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 cornering the uh remember some guys like if you like to talk about I don't know here we go magic and sun airway but also care about like colorectal cancer this is the yes. fucking this is the podcast for you bro exactly it by the way, like you're a few years shy of of yeah. of, of your colonoscopy period, right? <laughs> I guess. Okay, so I, I guess saying, it's never too early. I I, I thought well, I was until I heard that until we started recording. You can wait till you're 45. All and right. apparently, and for those who are curious, zero polyps, clear bill of health. I was awake during mine. I saw my colon, pink as a newborn baby. I'm telling you, my colon is. Uh, just unbelievable, and I don't have to have another one for ten years because that, I, I got the clean bill of health. So, yeah, for a guy to buy voices, fan, that's a pretty big deal. I was gonna say, like, I haven't been nice to my colon. <laughs> I was, I was not expecting it to look as good as it did. So, um, I think what that tells me is that I can just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't have to uh, change my lifestyle at all. Everything is great. Um, this was a pretty bitchy week <laughs> in uh, music discourse. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had the Pitchfork Festival this weekend. There was a lot of bitchiness going on there. I want to talk a little bit about that with you as, as regards to Big Thief. Uh, we had uh, Diet Coke Lester Bangs out here uh, in the streets talking. I think he's upset that he can't grow a full mustache. I don't know what his deal was, but he was talking smack. A lot of people talking smack this week. What was your experience like at Pitchfork? Like, were you hearing... Because you're hanging out with all these music writers, were they bitchy at the festival? Like, were they complaining about stuff? Like, what was that experience like? Well, I mean, in in, in light of our shift towards you know old man problems, I did get uh, recognized twice for indie cast by two pretty young looking people. So shout out to Dylan. Wow. I remember uh, they they uh, came out to me when I was uh, looking at the. Uh, 
um, the show posters like I always do every year. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was bitchiness going on. I spent like half of that weekend in Wisconsin. Um, I missed Saturday where a lot of it got rained out. And you know what? Like it was me talking to the same writers I've been seeing there since like 2008. Maybe there's like a younger generation that I missed, but it was just more like a class reunion. And I didn't notice any sort of bitchiness like until, <laughs> until, until like the next day. Cause no, I didn't hear much discourse, but apparently the big thief uh, set, which I missed completely because you know, I was getting frozen custard at the Milwaukee Museum of Art. Like, that was a... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Did, did you go to Cops? To I went to Cops. Custard? Yeah, not okay, Culver's. Good. We did Cops. I went to the yeah. Mars Cheese Palace in Kenosha. I went to Cops. I mean, I think nice. I had a... I went to, like, the Third Ward. I think I had a nice. pretty... I think I had a pretty solid Milwaukee experience. Did you drive past my old house in Milwaukee? <laughs> I don't think we... I didn't think we found time to get that uh Couldn't fit that in. in. Nah. I understand. Yeah, because yeah, for for cops, custard, uh, for Milwaukee custard, you gotta go to cops. There's also Leon's. That's another famous place there. Uh, like Neil Diamond, I remember hmm. went to Leon's when he was in town. Um, it's a custard uh, paradise in Milwaukee. That's why everyone in Milwaukee looks so fit, <laughs> is because of all the custard there. Um, I say that with love because I used to live there. Uh, anyway, you didn't go, so you didn't see Big Thief. I did not see Big Thief. I, 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 I saw just the discourse after the fact, and I don't, I don't yeah. fucking know. <laughs> well, it's interesting with Big Thief, because I've seen Big Thief twice. I saw them once in like a 600-person capacity room, and I saw them the second time at a big festival. And I thought they were great both times. They were two very different shows. Like, the, the smaller show was, was, was pretty quiet, and then the festival show... It was actually the Nationals Festival, like that they do sometimes in Cincinnati. Oh, right, that was a much yeah. that was a much louder show. Like that that was like where Adrian Linker was, you know, doing like the heavy guitar solo thing, like the like the Neil Young sounding guitar, which he's totally capable of doing live. And they do a little bit on their records, but not a ton of. I kind of wish they did that more on their records, but I've always enjoyed them live. But they apparently have a reputation for being. Uh, hit or miss live mm. band, and from what I saw online, that the the, the pitchfork performance was a miss. Apparently, I, I didn't see the live stream. I I was uh, up north. Uh, I did uh, I did see like some of the MJ Lenderman set, which oh, cool. was very well regarded. MJ Lenderman playing with two drummers, one of whom was Spencer uh, Tweedy, Jeff <laughs> Tweedy's son. Well, ain't pitchfork like, fest without him. If I couldn't. Love MJ Lenderman more. Now he's playing with two drummers. I mean, come on. This yeah. guy is just totally pandering to me. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Were, were people talking about Big Thief when you were there? Because the, the chatter online is that they weren't great at the festival. You know, I saw them in 2021 where they weren't a headliner. They were one of the major acts. And they played, to my recollection, quite a few songs that ended up on the 2022 album. And it was good. I mean, like, I, I don't know what people expect. I think that Big Thief are a band that has become well-known, not notorious, let's say, for playing like new material uh, prior to people hearing it. And I, I wouldn't understand why people would be disappointed in that because a lot of hype has been kind of swirling around this song Vampire Empire that they've been doing, which was released recently. I don't know, like, I, I can't understand why... It, I mean, if Big Thief, like, I don't know, played the hits, what what the hell would that even mean? Um, I, I, I didn't hear anything one way or the other. Maybe just because uh, the people I was talking to most of the weekend were just, like, 35 to 45-year-old music writers who were just, like, stoked to see somebody in their lives who cares about the same shit they do, you know? I mean, and this is an ironic thing about Big Thief in light of what I just said about their reputation for being an inconsistent live act is that there's also this thing with Big Thief, I think, where a lot of people prefer the live versions of their songs huh. to the studio versions, uh, especially if they heard the live version first. And that seems to be the case with Vampire Empire, because this was a song that they played recently on the Colbert show, and it was a sh you know performance that a lot of people loved. Of course, people remember when Big Thief was on Colbert and they did not, yeah. and that is one of the more famous 
live performances in recent years. People just love that performance. Um, I have to say, I didn't love. I don't love this song. Uh, I didn't love it on Colbert, and I don't. I didn't. Really, I don't really like the studio version either. Um, and it was interesting because I don't know if you saw this, but someone from the Big Thief camp posted. I think it was an Instagram uh-huh. message about the chatter. What's about? About Vampire Empire, where they were basically saying, like, uh, you know, if you like the Colbert version, you can listen to the Colbert version. Uh, But we did a different version for the studio version, and that's, you know, you can listen to that, too. But uh, it was basically like, like, shut the fuck up. Stop (laughs) complaining about this studio version. And it was, I feel like they've done this before. They've posted things like this before. I mean, Big Thief is a band that, I mean, they're very popular in indie rock circles. They're not all that mainstream, I think. I mean, they have somewhat of a profile in the mainstream, but um, I'm curious about how they handle the scrutiny, you know, because we're going to be talking about Mitski here in a minute. I mean, she has a whole other level yeah. <laughs> of psychotic followers. But, you know, there's there's some there's a fair amount of intensity around Big Thief as well. People take that band very seriously. And, uh, you know, there was that controversy, I think that was last year when they were playing Israel and oh, they canceled God. it. Yeah, right. You know, there was that whole thing. <laughs> um, and I don't even want to get into that whole controversy. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It, it does seem like they hear the chatter and that it gets to them to some degree. And which I totally understand. Like when I read that Instagram post about Vampire Empire, I was like, yeah, I think this is totally reasonable. Although at the same time, it's like maybe you don't respond to this. I, I I don't know if that's a smart thing to do. Yeah, I bet it was the basis. That guy was. I, I I feel like that guy was shirtless for the most part during the festival, so he's probably feeling himself a little more than the other people <laughs> in the band. But I also think it kind of punctures the entire uh, appeal of Big Thief if they're responding on if they're like posting notes apps on Instagram. Like, you want to think of them as, like, almost like a modern-day jug band. You know, they're wearing barrels or burlap <laughs> sacks and just kind yeah. of exploring each other's, like, uh, auras in, some like, uh, uh, upstate New York or what have you. Um, but it, I, I get it. Uh, you know, it's interesting because, like, when we're talking about, like, how big Big Thief is, I mean, you know, they're headlining, you know, Pitchfork Fest on a Saturday big. But, um, and I did see a, a bunch of T-shirts. Uh, there at the festival, not anywhere near as many as I did of the National Boy. For a band that wasn't playing in any way, shape, or form, their t-shirt presence was like, like similar to like what I see from the Strokes when I go went to FYF Fest, you know, in 2016. Oh, LA. good for them. Yeah, the National still still doing major merch money. Well, I mean, the bookings this year at Pitchfork Festival were very, uh, you know, sort of appealing to a national fan yeah you know all three headliners the smile big thief and bonnie Vare. you got always on the bill you know there's a lot of like national adjacent yeah groups centrist that were playing rock, there. you know yeah totally um another thing that came out of this big thief chatter and the bitchiness that i was referring <laughs> to earlier was there was this review that ran on stereo gum of the big thief performance that a lot of people decided that they wanted to make fun of mm-hmm. online. That and, I did see. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, how would you even explain this review? It was basically talking about uh, Big Thief being a prototypical band in the sense that all four members seem like they are essential to the whole and how that is unique these days and how the adventurousness of what they do live introducing new songs there's sort of like a jam band aspect to what they do even though they don't jam necessarily they they carry themselves like a jam band in a lot of ways oh yeah and like how that's kind of antithetical to what it seems like people want in like the indie sphere i think that was the gist of what he was writing about uh, in this piece am i am i missing anything i mean i like th- this this writer julian towers they they've written about bands that i like and I think they generally, you know, we, we share similar tastes, so I, I want to preface with that. I, like, half-acidly tried to read it, like, while getting ready in the morning on, like, Sunday or something like that. So 
uh, I, I didn't quite grasp what they were getting at, but like the, the, the headline of the article was that Big Thief is a band. You know, Big Thief is an army, better yet the Navy. I don't know. But um, I think the gist of it and what people kind of um, reacted against was this sense that if people were disappointed with Big Thief playing new music or jamming, it's because they can't wrap their head around the complexity of what they're doing or people are just so... People are just like so um, caught up in the, you know, like you mentioned, Mitski, uh, of having these like parasocial relationships with um, like kind of solo artists who are quasi bands that uh, I, I think it was pro Big Thief. Like, I never quite. Uh, yeah, I mean, the points, like those points, I actually I agree with a lot of yeah. that. And, and the point like about them being a unique band, I mean, I've written about that. I've said the same thing about Big Thief in the past. So like I, I I'm in line with what uh w- with what the piece was talking about. To me, I don't even want I mean getting into the argument of what it was saying, I think that's like beside the issue. I feel like a lot of the talk and this is something I've seen recently like with increasing regularity, it was talking about the style of the writing. Yeah. Which was this uh it was a throwback to like what music writing was like or, or what Pitchfork was like in the early 2000s, more of a gonzo style, mm-hmm. where it's very, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's very <laughs> reliant on a writer's voice yeah. and their perspective. And, you know, I, I see this sometimes, like where people will screenshot some piece of Pitchfork writing from 2002, and they'll be like, oh, man, aren't you glad music writing isn't like this anymore? And, like, they'll clown on it. And I have to say, like, I'm not a gonzo writer myself. I don't really like that style personally. I don't like writing in that style. I don't like a lot of that kind of writing. But I always want that writing to exist somewhere. <laughs> I want someone to be doing it because I think it's I think it's nice to have that out there. Even when I read it and I'm annoyed by it and I might DM someone and go, get a load of this <laughs> bullshit. I want it to be out there. I want there to be a William Bowers out there doing super discursive writing that is way on a limb, that probably fails 99 times out of 100, uh, just because I think it makes it more interesting. I mean, I hear people complain all of the time about how boring culture writing is, and yet whenever someone does something that's unique, those same culture writers will gang up and trash that person. And it's like, why do you think things are so boring? Yeah. It's because culture writers police other culture writers whenever they step out of line. If you say something that isn't with the pack, that writer gets killed. If Mm. a writer does something that's kind of experimental or wacky or whatever, they gang up and they kill that writer. They do it all the time. And it annoys the hell out of me when that happens. It's like, we're all writers. Why are you ganging up? I'd like the one person who might be doing something unique, you yeah. know, and it just drives me crazy when that happens. It's like, if you do that, then don't complain that things are boring, you know, cause you are contributing to the problem. I have to say, if you're in your early twenties, I don't think you should be writing professional and competent copy. That is the <laughs> time to be totally self-indulgent and just goes out as far as you can. Say stupid things, you know? I mean, that's the, that's the crappy thing about the social media era is, like, when I was 24, I worked for a small-town newspaper that no one read. There was no way anything I wrote was ever going to go viral. So I could just write shitty column after <laughs> shitty column, and nobody cared. And that was healthy. I could just be in the wilderness until I, you know, got a little bit better. And I, I, I realized, okay, that was stupid. I don't want to do that again. You can't do that now because a bunch of, like, 42-year-old burnouts will jump on you. If you, if you, I, and I hate that. I hate it. Yeah, I think it was actually, the, the odd thing about this article or just what I've seen around the discourse is that I think the defenders of it were largely like older people because it reminded them of the exact thing that you talked about, which is, you know, this sort of blog spot, um, not like factually incorrect. Like I've seen some, you know, stuff like that lately and people get mad at you know, like younger writers who just like get basic facts wrong or like just poor editing. But like this does have this element of uh, something I relate to a lot, which is, you know, kind of blog spot era, just having these very strong opinions and being like, 
you know, no one's telling the truth, but I'm going to just set people straight and just kind of going out there and uh, just offering your opinions and like writing as if, you know, you're doing so for 50 or so blogspot commenters. Because I did this shit all the time. I also did it for like, you know, a very small audience and nobody was paying me for that. You know, I always think back to one of the most resonant stories of that era, which is from the, it, it was from a book. Oh my God. Like the name's escaping me. Ripped. Yeah. Greg Cott wrote it. It's called Ripped. And a lot one of the, it's about like the early internet and uh, indie rock bands and Death Cab was one of the main subjects. And they talked about like how important it was for them to essentially suck in private. Like there was no internet, like they were shitty for a while, but like they were allowed to grow from it. And look, I think the deal with music writing is that like, it's always going to be run by the people who want it the most. Like you always see people like this who get clowned. It's their turn over the barrel. And yet because they love music writing so much, they continue to get work. I can name a shitload of people who have, you know, leveraged that into a career. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the the good news is, and the one piece of like um, solace I can offer to anybody who's been in that position, in two days it'll be somebody else. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It, it, look, if you do this, if you put yourself out there, you're going to be in the barrel. It's it, it'll happen to you, and but and you just have to know. Yeah, it passes, and not a lot of time, and a lot of the people who are doing. Uh, who are putting you in the barrel, they've never done anything, and they will never do anything. They just tweet. Like, it's the same people that have been tweeting for 10 years, and they don't write anything. They just, like, tweet. It's It's just dumb. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I think oftentimes you'll see writers talk, like, try to trump up, like, the importance of music writing and how, like, we are, you know, we're just all out there together. And, like, you know, 90% of, like, what music writers probably do on a day-to-day basis is like DM group, like do group DMs about like, get a load of this asshole. I think that the, (laughs) I think that the solidarity amongst music writers is like really overstated, but um, it's always, there's none. Yeah. There's none. It would crabs at no honor amongst thieves, you know, all like, uh, is that the proper term to say? Like, I've never actually had to say that. Like in regards to something that felt real, but it's a barrel. It's a barrel of snakes, man. Isn't it crabs? Cra- no, crabs are in a bucket. Snakes are in a barrel. I don't know. Right. I mean, <laughs> you could probably put snakes in a bucket or crabs in a in a barrel. Uh, yeah, we're all just we, fighting we, over the same two hundred fucking dollars. Hey, speak for yourself. Man. <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I make well more than that. But anyway, I gotta I, I gotta calm myself down here. Uh, I got a little worked up during the Big Thief segment here. Yeah. Let, 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 let's talk about an artist that. Uh, always provokes uh, calm, reasoned conversations, and that's Mitski. <laughs> uh, she put out a new single this week. It's called Bug Like an Angel. It's the first song released from her upcoming album, which is called The Land is Inhospitable, and So Are We. And we're <laughs> and, voting yes, or whatever. <laughs> and, and that album comes out in September, less than two years after Laurel Hell. Like, pretty quick turnaround for, yeah. for Mitski here. Um Am I wrong? Is that title subtweeting her psychotic fan base? Probably not. It's, uh, I mean, uh, do you really want to go there with the fan base? And the fact that we're even like describing them as psychotic gives me a bit of pause because. Oh, come on. No, I'm saying. Come on. Yeah, I'm saying, like, I, I can't tell what this fan base is capable of. But yeah, I, I think that, I don't know. You could. I could imagine that if Mitski really does do the press rounds, which I don't anticipate, you know, the land is hospitable and so are we. It could be, you know, just, I don't know, post-COVID anxiety or like the 2024 election. It could be really applied to anything. So uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a shot at her fan base, although if it was, it's she's not like Doja Cat, you know. I think Doja Cat is like the only artist who's like reasonably handling their uh, less balanced fans. But yeah, I don't think Mitski's really going there. So this new single, I'm going to sound like a rockist here. Won't be the first time, but so <laughs> it be won't it. Won't be the last either, I'm sure. Uh, I found it reassuring that she's playing guitar Yeah, on this song. Because she had these, her last two records... Uh, yeah, Be the Cowboy and Laurel Hell. Those were like her synth pop records. 
and uh, clearly was a good pivot for her because it made her bigger than ever. Um, I like Be the Cowboy. Was not a big fan of Laurel Hell. Um, I was on record. I wrote a review of that record. I was I was pretty negative on it. Um, it's interesting because someone recently asked me, do you feel like her albums are getting incrementally better? Huh. And I was like, absolutely not. I do <laughs> not think that way. I mean, I think Puberty 2 is still her best record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bury Me at Make Out Creek, the album before that, I'm also a big fan of. But Puberty 2 still seems like her peak. But it, it does seem like that is the minority opinion, possibly, at this point, among her fans. Because... Um, like the people who love Mitski, at this point, it seems like the bulk of her audience probably came on board with the last two albums. It, it reminds me a little bit of like what happened with the National, yeah. where you're at a point now like where the majority of people at a National show don't really care about Alligator. You know, they care about uh, you know High Violet or maybe even some of the recent records. Uh, Trouble will find me was a big big record i think that like for a certain generation like i I found this out uh as i talk to people who are 10 to 15 years younger but like trouble will find me is like the one that brought a lot of people into the tent i can see that i mean i've 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 seen younger people say that they feel like the last like the like the late 2010s albums like were the best albums that they ever made like sleep well beast and uh, I'm easy to find. <laughs> you you had to think about what that one was well, called. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm not a fan of that record. Um, but again, it it just goes to show that for like the successful indie artists who span generations, that there are different entry points. Mm-hmm. And Mitski, you know, that's certainly uh, true of her. Um, where do you think Mitski is right now in the galaxy of indie? stars like where like where is she in the hierarchy would you say like is she bigger than phoebe bridgers would you say no she's not see i would say no either except on spotify mitski has more monthly listeners and like she has more bigger songs than phoebe bridgers does like there's a mitski song i'm gonna look this up while i'm talking that has like a half a billion streams Hmm. and it might be it might be a song from uh, Laurel Hell, where it's it's Washing Machine Heart, which is from uh, Be, Be the, the Cowboy. Cowboy. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but, you know, that was not the yeah, song I expected you to say. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the Greatest American Girl is like it doesn't. I don't think that's in her top ten of like most stream songs. Wild. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so she's actually, in terms of like streaming numbers, she does better than Phoebe Bridgers. She's not as famous. I feel like as Phoebe, but Phoebe also is someone who constantly puts herself out there. Right. Whereas Mitski is more of like a Lana Del Rey, I guess. Although Lana Del Rey is now going to like Waffle Houses and, yeah. and working as a way. Have you, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it's, it's, I don't know if she's like promoing like an album or something, but she's been, do, but been working in different Southern restaurants lately. Committing <laughs> it's to like the some sort bit, you know? Very viral stuff. Yeah, she's, she's a genius with that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Mitski, it'll, it'll be curious to see what this next album does for her. Um, she is like, she's kind of like the biggest thing. Like, she's like one of the biggest things in indie music or indie rock, whatever, however you want to define that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she did a really excellent job. Not like, um, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but like Laurel Hell was the exact kind of record that. Um, you know, kind of bridge the gap between like these ridiculous expectations and perhaps a more sustainable career because it felt a little underwhelming. But by the end of the year, it still ended up making all these year end lists. And now she's kind of striking while the iron's hot. You know, there's not the same sort of uh, expectations or like kind of bad vibes around this that there sort of were with Laurel Hell. And, you know, I think Laurel Hell might be kind of like this type of album that we've talked about in the past, like plans or good news for people who love bad news and that, you know, it's not going to, for, for people who maybe are like 15 or 18 now, that's like going to be the one that they love the most because uh, that's the one that they first got into. Right. That was like the first one that they got into as like an aware Mitski fan. And the only heartbreaker is apparently number one on adult alternative radio. Like did, did 
that's that was like a big hit. I guess. I guess? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, believe it. <laughs> yeah. What was the format again? Adult? Adult alternative radio, which I I don't know okay. if it was number two. I imagine it's largely national songs. It's interesting because, like, you know, streaming-wise, it did it did uh, 34,000 or 34 million, which, you know, it's a good number. Uh, but it doesn't seem, like, ubiquitous in the way that, like, the songs from Be the Cowboy or Puberty 2, which, by the way, I listened to Puberty 2 yesterday. I... I don't know if it's her quote best, but I think it's like it's definitely my favorite. That record fucking rules. I think it's her best. Okay. Can we, yeah. Like why? Like what would be like? What's the argument against? Like why don't you want to just say it's her best? Like what's uh, the argument there? What's holding you back? Uh, I don't know. Just like the, the the amount of tweets I've like made over the years about distinguishing between best, which is I think find hard to objectify, and favorite, which is a lot easier. But like I don't know. You could argue that like I think in that case it's the best and it's my favorite. I can I I know you mean you can you can delineate between the two, mm-hmm. but I think like I would think that maybe bury me at make a Creek would be your favorite because that is more in line with what you like aesthetically. <laughs> what, like, which is to say the Simpsons. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Or, I, and, and it's, it's like her emo record too. Yeah. So it's the closest thing that she's made to an emo record. Yeah. I would say that like, I don't know, you can make the argument that like be the cowboy has like more craft or what have you, that it's like a little more unique, but yeah, pure, they're all they're all great, but I, my favorite is definitely uh, Puberty 2. I feel like it's got that like emo component of Bury Me at Makeout Creek, but it's not quite as, you know, um, stuck in the, you know, guitar, drums, bass sort of format. It does more interesting things production-wise. Yeah, I mean, again, my, my thing with Mitski is that as she's become more acclaimed... Mm-hmm. And become more famous and successful, her records have gotten worse, which is not an uncommon trajectory. But I, I'm hoping that this new album changes the tide a little bit. And again, God, I hate to be this much of a simpleton. Is it only going to be a matter of her playing more guitar? Is that going to be the thing that makes me like it more? I feel a little uh, self hatred about that because I feel like that's such a cliche. But it may be the case. I don't know. I mean, I like. I mean, I like synth pop. I'm not against that, but I just feel like for her and like her production team, I don't think she pulled it off as well as other people working in that vein. Whereas, like what she was doing on Puberty too, that was unique to her, and it was so good. And I, I'd like personally to hear her get back to that. Okay, well, let's talk about another huge indie rock star, which is Post Malone. <laughs> Uh, of course, I'm being ironic there. Uh, Post Malone, he has a new album out today. It's called Austin, and this will surely be the biggest album in the country, perhaps for a while. Although, I don't know, is Morgan Wallen still up there? He's probably still... Yeah, Jason Aldean, uh, the IndyCast, being revoked an IndyCast seal of approval has not stopped Jason Aldean's uh, rise, so... Well, he's so exceptional in every way. I mean, you can't hold that guy back. Yeah. He's a great songwriter. Oh, wait, he's not. Oh. He's a great singer. No, he's not. Uh, he plays guitar really well, and now he just stands there. Uh, Great-looking person. No, he's not. He looks like a side of beef. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. He's a huge star. He's doing well. Hopefully, uh, Post Malone can come along and take him down a peg. Uh, we have not heard this album yet. I don't know if anyone's heard this album yet. Maybe. Uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> But we figured, let's yay or nay Post Malone. Where do you stand on Post Malone? Are you yay or nay? Are you Post Malone? Are you pre-Malone? Are you present Malone? <laughs> so, Where are you at? Uh, uh, how, Post Malone's been famous for, like, for how long? Like a decade at this point? Like when did White Iverson what? come out? I, I don't... Is it, it, been, I, I didn't really know about him until like the late 2010s. Wait, okay, was he so famous before that? White Iverson came out in 2016, so... Okay. Um, or 2015. So we're, t- we're going on eight years. And I don't know if I've ever actually listened to White Iverson. I mean, I've heard <laughs> Sunflower a bunch of times. In pa- like, I've heard parts of Sunflower just on the radio or in supermarkets. And I thought it sounded sort of like broken social scene. Like, I vaguely recall Rockstar. Like, Post Malone is an artist who I've you know, ingested like 30 seconds to a minute and a half at a time. I I did, however, dress up as Post Malone for Halloween in 20, uh, 2021. 
you can totally get like Post Malone face tattoo kits uh, on Amazon. And I feel like I should have opinions about Post Malone, but like he, I, he, I can sort of ignore him for long stretches of time. Like he doesn't impress himself on the narrative in the same way that like The Weeknd or Harry Styles or other, you know, male uh, and, or Drake or whatever other artists are at his level do. He's just some kind of dude. So I'd, uh, in most circumstances, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, like met on him. However, I, again, I want to clear, I want, I want to preface, I've not heard a single note of Austin yet, but he's taking beach fossils on tour, like a band that I wrote about in 2010, who I always considered like, I don't know, maybe like not quite on the level of like wild nothing. Uh, but yeah, this guy fucks with beach fossils. Like they're getting a bag going out on tour. He's posting on Instagram with like bands like drain and military gun. So yeah, post Malone, kind of a real one. Like I, he's kind of like a post music artist for me at this point where it's like, if he's just around kind of given dap to like bands I like, then I have to consider that a force for good. Kind of similar to the way Paramore brought out Block Party and Foles for their tour. I just kind of hope Post Malone is, I don't know, like a charitable. He's like sort of like a like an NGO in the future. So um yay on Post Malone. No, I do not plan on listening to Austin. So I'm a yay on Post Malone as well. And I actually am a yay on his music too. I I think in terms of like the big pop stars, mm-hmm. he's like one of my favorite. And I would say that he's definitely the most likable. Like he seems like a genuinely nice, down to earth person as much as you can be <laughs> when you're that rich and famous. Like he's probably not actually that down to earth, but relative to other people in his orbit, uh, he, he seems like the most approachable. He's like Harry Styles without the smarm. To me, you know, like Harry Styles make, makes a point of saying be nice in every goddamn song he puts out to the point where you feel like this guy's probably an asshole in real life. Like, <laughs> I, 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 no one will ever dissuade me from that. I, I have a suspicion about that and it, it will be confirmed one day. Um, but anyway, Post Malone, you know, I used to clown on him because. I just thought it was funny that there was an album called Beer Bongs and Bentleys that was nominated for an Album of the Year Grammy. Like, I just thought, I can't resist. Did it win? It didn't win. I don't remember what won that year, okay. and, I, and I don't really care. But it was uh, just, I totally like, care, so I'm going to look this up. <laughs> it's like you can get the Grammys, you have an album title called Beer Bongs and Bentleys, and it's like, oh, this guy has all these face tattoos. And from a very sort of like reductive, shallow, superficial perspective, it was easy to make jokes about him, but... You know, I have had songs of his penetrate my orbit in part because he is so popular. And you can measure that popularity by streaming numbers. I mean, he is as popular pretty much as anyone. Like, Mm. I I was looking at his Spotify stats. Sunflower has been streamed like 2.8 billion times. Uh, That song Rockstar has been streamed 2.8 billion times. I mean, he's closing in on 3 billion streams just for like one song. Hmm. Uh, so he's hugely popular. There's also the standard that I use where like my kids know his music and my kids really only care about music that they hear in video games. <laughs> uh, they don't really care about music other than that. Um, like I was listening to Sunflower while getting ready for this episode and like my kids' heads like snapped <laughs> directly to me and they're like, oh man, yeah, that's in whatever Roblox game. And then my daughter started playing the song well, I was playing the song, so we had like two devices playing Sunflower in the house. So sure. that's two more streams uh, for, for Post Malone there. Um, but I don't know. like His last record, uh, Hollywood Bleeding, which I believe came out in 2019, I'd listen to that album. I like that album. I think it's a pretty good album. Uh, the, the, the big hit from that record, or one of the big hits, uh, is that song Circles. I don't know if you've heard that song. That's the one that sounds like Broken Social Scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that's a song that I feel like... Like a million indie pop artists have been trying to make that song for like the last five years and they haven't succeeded. Like that is such an earwormy, you know, combination of like there's a little bit of rock in there. There's like a little bit of like an indie influence in there and it's very pop. Also, obviously hip hop and R&B. It's just like a melange of all of these sounds that are popular on streaming platforms and Post Malone has mastered the formula and he's put it together 
and I'm saying that in a cynical way, but like the song itself, I think is like a, it's an undeniable song. Like but, you hear it, it's 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 very appealing, it's very catchy, and he has just like a lot of songs like that. And it, it it goes down easy. I don't think he's super distinctive. I think what he does is he takes a lot of different kinds of music that are popular right now and he synthesizes it. And I, I I'm I'm not quite sure like what his voice is, you know, but. What the way he synthesizes it is, I don't know. He's sort of like a like a real life AI, you know. I, like <laughs> he can create music the way that I imagine AI will be creating music, like in five years. By the way, you mentioned Hollywood bleeding or Hollywood's bleeding. Also, Grammy nominated for best album of the year. Um, I'm looking at this list, and I I, I gotta ask, like, uh, I, I bet given enough time, you could figure out like what won in 2019 but do you remember what was the grammy album of the year in 2022 uh no john baptiste we are oh right Right. okay beat out donda hers back of my mind evermore uh justice triple chucks deluxe trip justice triple chucks deluxe version uh from uh, justin bieber love for sale by the recently departed tony bennett and lady gaga yeah if you ever just kind of need a just a just a kick, go go look back at like the recent past of Grammy Album of the Year nominations. These are amazing. Um, my one quibble, and I don't know if I said this. I'm a yay. I think I said yay at the beginning. Yeah, I think I, I heard just want to make yeah. sure I'm on the record as yay for Post Malone. My one quibble with him is that he popularized spelling rock star, which is two words <laughs> as one word. Okay, and like is the how's the energy drinks spelled? It's one word. It was the energy? Maybe that was before the song. I, I feel I like remember. Rockstar Energy Drink and Rockstar Games, the people who make uh, Grand Theft Auto. Oh uh, right. Okay. So so it's too. not just so it's not just Post Malone. Okay. I should, okay. So maybe I don't have a quibble with him. This is a huge pet peeve of mine. <laughs> it's like when people spell "woe," which is W H O A, and they spell it W O A H. I hate that. That is a huge pet peeve of mine. People misspell "woe." They make rock star one word. I see this all the time. It drives me insane. This is, you know, I was ranting earlier in the episode about, you know, people ganging up on writers to try to be unique. I hate that. I also hate spelling rock star as one word. That is a huge pet peeve of mine. And the woe thing is maybe my biggest pet peeve. I don't know. You spell- uh, like, are, you, are we associating like being a bit uh, kind of angsty with like a colonoscopy? I mean, this is not like a good advertisement for it. No, man, know? I was, I was cleaned out. I was cleaned oh, okay, out. I cool. think, I, I think, you know, look, it's just a bitchy week. I guess I'm bitchy too. I'm, I'm contributing right. to the bitchiness, but I think I'm on the side of righteousness. So <laughs> the bitchiness is justified. Bitchiness is next to godliness. Yes. How do you, how do you spell woe? W H O A. I don't recall like well, that's how Black Rob spelled it in his song Woe, so I think of that as the definitive version. So I'm going with W H. Okay. That's yeah, the right you, way. You're, you're that's the it. right way. That's the right way. You you've That heard is it the here. right way. The W O A H that's 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 WOA. That's that's WOA. It's not woe. Come on. Don't I, spell it that way. I cannot think no. of any time in the recent past where I've actually had to write that word. So <laughs> I see it all the time. People misspell it all the time. That's, that's my other PSA here. Get a colonoscopy, and the second PSA is W-H-O-A, not W-O-A-H. We're taking some Thank big you. stands here. <laughs> right. uh, let's get to our mailbag segment. And uh, please write us. We'd like to hear from our listeners. We can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. So, uh, Ian, you want to read our letter this week? <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so Dan from Fairfield, Connecticut writes, longtime listener, occasional letter writer. And Dan from Fairfield requests that we please refrain from shit-talking sublime. It's painful for me as my teenage self was so deeply into them, and I can't come to grips with the haunting truth that it may not be legendary music. The same goes for Bob Marley. Thanks. Keep it up. And P.S. Steve picking a yak on Art Brute is horseshit. So Woo! a lot, a lot going on here. Man, the bitchiness continues in the mailbag. Um, first of all, don't group Bob Marley with Sublime. <laughs> like <laughs> Bob Marley is legit genius. Okay, 
you don't have like I, we're never gonna shit talk Bob Marley. No. Uh, but that actually is legendary music. And and Dan, no no disrespect here, but like I question your ability to discern music here. If you are saying, well, I'm defensive about Sublime because I liked it as a kid and I'm worried that it might not actually be as good as I thought it was, and then you say same as Bob Marley. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> That's I, I don't know, man. That's insane. That's an insane sentence construction there, my friend. Um, what did we say about Sublime? Oh, I, I can't remember. remember. I think that you, we've. I, I may have brought up the story about the time when uh, I, like the one time I came close to getting my ass kicked in person because I expressed an opinion about music was someone I worked with um, who thought Sublime was the greatest band of the 90s and I disagreed with that. And so... <laughs> I guess I guess my I, I have several qualms about this, which is first of which is that like look, I'm not gonna let someone from Connecticut tell me how to feel about Sublime as like a San Diego. And I mean maybe like I guess the like equivalent would be me writing into like a Connecticut based version of IndieCast saying that like like Guster is actually bullshit. But you know or like John Mayer. Or John Mayer's from Is he from Connecticut? I thought he was from Atlanta. Yeah. No, he made his bones in Atlanta, but I believe he's from Connecticut. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, with Sublime, like, look, man, like, you can, Dan can say this because he's not as immersed in Sublime culture as I am in San Diego. Like, that is still very much a type of guy that exists in San Diego to the point where people kind of wrongly assume that they're from San Diego, despite saying that from Long Beach. You can't avoid hearing what I got. Like, you really fucking can't. So... Um, but yeah, I think the interesting, the, the thing that stood out to me about the Bob Marley comparison is that like, yeah, if you've been in a dorm room over the past 25 years, you know, you're going to come across both of them, maybe from the same person. But like Bob Marley is actually an artist I've come to appreciate more since my teenage years. Like once you get past that, like legend, greatest hit CD and dorm posters, he becomes a lot more interesting. He's sort of like the Grateful Dead in that regard, where he becomes a sort of like avatar for like that one guy on the lacrosse team who bullied you, and then you kind of realize the scope of their artistry. So um, he's got like ten great albums. Yeah, his seventies period is amazing. Yeah, you know, like he's like one of the great artists of that decade, and there's a lot of competition in the seventies, but he's right up there with anyone. Yeah, I, I guess just. I can see how they'd be associated with each other, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm like uniquely qualified to say whatever the fuck I want about Sublime, and you know, I heard what I got the other day, and I think I just mentioned the fact that like uh, that is like one song that makes me want to fucking punch somebody. Like, (laughs) uh, dude, I I love, I, I love that you're pulling the San Diego card here. This is great. And now given what I pay, you given what I fucking pay to live here, I can say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> You're pulling the San Diego card, I love it. Um, I heard Santeria this weekend. This is the thing about Sublime is that they're hateable because they have. Uh, well, there's what I got, Santeria. Wrong way. Ah, oh, wrong way. Yeah. You know the thing when I when I heard Santeria this weekend. Another thing that. I hate about Sublime occurred to me is that they are one of the most egregious examples of like a white rock band, like appropriating like hip hop language in like a semi ironic way. Yeah. Like there's a part in uh, Santeria where he like talks about, uh, please don't say it. Cause like, I might not be able to make it through the rest of the episode. I might just like break down if I fucking hear it. Like the punk ass part. Yeah. I got it's, it's, so, like, uh, what does he say? I can't remember. Uh, the whole I, I know, I'm not going to fucking give it the. Uh, I, I, look at what look at what you're making me do, man. Like I know the lyrics, I've heard them, and I could say them, but like I would rather. I don't know, man. Just talk about anything else other than Sublime. Just thinking I'm about a, it, like I mean, God, I'm googling the lyrics here. You know, rest in peace, you know, Bradley Noel. Like, but man. Okay, uh, and, I, and I won't God. think twice to stick that barrel straight down Sancho's throat. Believe me when I say that I got something for his punk ass. Is Which, the entire- <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it was the 90s. I mean, that was the time of, like, fun-loving criminals. And, you know, the the the, the there's probably some relation of, like, the Tarantinoization of culture at that point. I mean, look, they were a pro- they, they were not unique in that regard. I, if, if I can... You know, if if I can defend Sublime in any real way, they were not unique in that regard. And 
I think that there are tons of bands in Southern California who were, you know, trying to do something similar and they just did not get as big. So I would so like not... if someone, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like if someone is smack talking uh, slightly stupid, <laughs> well, I, I, or I, should, I would love I, to hear I should, it. <laughs> I should, I, I should say if someone is praising slightly stupid, you would pull the San Diego card there as well and be like, Hey, I, I live in San Diego. I can, I can say that they, that, that they suck. Yeah, I mean they they tour together. I don't think I've heard an actual slightly stupid song. I know that like, that was funny because like they they played um they pl- they did a they did a co headlining tour of slightly stupid in Sublime Throne recently and Atmosphere opened like the like the Whoa. emo rap gods from Minnesota. Uh, like, it's so funny because, like, you want to talk about bands that, like, were, you know, strange fucking bedfellows back then. Like, in 2002, like, you know, the one guy in the dorm is listening to Sublime, like, smoking weed or, like, playing hacky sack. And then you got, like, the angry-ass kid listening to God Loves Ugly. Um, and here they are now, you know? I think that's just... I mean... That's just a theme with, like, IndieCast, you know? Like, when Weezer and the Pixies tour, it's like, you... The arc of time is long enough. Like bands that were popular at the same time will probably end up touring together. See, I probably shouldn't say this because I live in the Twin Cities now, but I can't stand rap from Minneapolis. Okay, so like that, that is that is just as likely to get your ass kicked because I know about Minneapolis people and how they feel about like Doomtree and shit. I know. I'm gonna. Sayers. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a, like an electric fetus or something, and someone's gonna like shiv me in the uh, vinyl section. <laughs> what do you mean but POS I, is whack? Like, <laughs> oh my god! I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's it, I'm I'm sorry. It's just like a lot of it is so lame. I'm sorry. It just just not. I, it's like I have local, but I mean, I'm That's not real from here. I live here. <laughs> you know. Anyway, do you think that okay? Because he said me saying Nyack on Art Brute is horseshit. Do you think? It's because he's a yay or nay on Art Brute. I think he just wants to, you know, like, fall one way or the other. I don't know. Sorry, dude. It's a knack. Yeah. I stand by it. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? I don't know. After such a contentious episode, I feel like it's only right that I, you know, bring things down a peg. Um, the... It's not contentious, though. Like, it's not between us. Oh, no, we're totally just... not. It's just us and us versus the world. <laughs> we're, yeah, we are, it's righteous indignation, you know. We are like the Bob Marley, if you will, of podcasting. <laughs> yeah, it's the usual, like, why should I change? He's the one who sucks. Um... So I want to, this is an album that I've been super into over the past couple of months, and I'm a little surprised it isn't getting more hype, or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not surprised, but um, The Clientele is actually a band that we've done uh, yay or nay here in the past, I was firmly yay, and they have a new album out uh, today called I Am Not There Anymore. Um, in In most times, like a new Clientele album would be, oh cool, they're back, they're doing their thing. This album is more like the ones that I tend to get into of late where it feels like almost like a CD. The the it's I think 19 songs, there's some interludes and it's about an hour long. Um just really uh experimental relatively speaking. It's still got the same like tunefulness and poetic lyrics, but it's a little experimental in like a 90s electronica sort of way like back when um, you know, like artists from that era would be like, yeah, we're really getting into loops or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- th- it reminds me a little bit of another IndieCast favorite, um, Wild Pink's last album, I Love You So Much, in that it kind of goes in the same sort of, um, you know, the same sort of like, it, like experimental uh, drum machines, like horns, like the first song's eight minutes. It's a real journey. And um you know, if it were up to me, this one would be as celebrated as, you know, like the last Yola Tango record. Because I think that is, uh, it's in a similar lane of, you know, a legacy band that hasn't done much to kind of gin up interest in, of late. Like really going way beyond, you know, what they would need to do in order just to like, you know, be heard. Uh, this is one of my favorite albums of the year. I imagine it'll uh, be up there when the year ends. But yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. I don't know if it's like, if you've never heard the clientele, like this would be a way to introduce yourself. That would be suburban light or, um, 
strange geometry. But th- if you like the clientele and maybe have checked out, which, you know, understandable. Like this one I really think is they've really uh, hopefully have ushered in another wave of appreciation. So one of your favorites of the year. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Big declaration. I have not heard this record. I'm, I'm going to check it out. I like the clientele. I'm not a huge fan. I think we talked about this already. Mm-hmm. I don't go deep with them, but whenever I listen to them, I feel like, why don't I know this whole band's catalog? Yeah. They, they just have a very beguiling, very listenable indie rock type sound. If I could be very, uh, that's like the worst description I probably could have come up with with this band. But anyway, they're a really good band. I'm going to check out that album. Uh, I want to talk about an album that actually came out last month, and I wasn't aware of it because it was just on Bandcamp. I came across it this week, and I, I have been listening to it a ton. It's a new live album by one of my favorite artists, Father John Misty. This was a record that he recorded in Paris back in March. Like I said, the album was released on Bandcamp uh, at the end of June. Um, and it's a really fantastic live record. And I know you don't really get into live records, Ian. I'm a big live album fan. Only Robert Pollard's relaxation of the asshole. That's well, the yeah, that go- <laughs> goes without saying. But anyway, I think the strength of this album is how it really brings out the songs on the last Father John Misty record, which is Chloe in the next 20th century, uh, which is a really... I, it's not like an inaccessible record, but there's something about that album, I think having to do with some of like the old timey musical references that he's working with that makes it maybe not as immediate as like the other father John Misty records. Mm -hmm. And I found listening to this album that the songs from that record really came to life in a way that I don't think they quite do on the record always. Um, And it's just a reminder that like father John Misty is like one of the great, I think performers in indie rock and I always feel weird saying indie rock, describing Father John Misty, because he doesn't really seem of that world anymore. But uh, his band is so good. His voice sounds great. The arrangements are really good. Again, like I think that some of those songs from the last record that maybe felt maybe a little stiff on record, mm-hmm. they, they don't feel that way at all. They, they really have an extra kind of muscle to them that I think really does them well. Uh, so yeah, I, I love this record. If you're a fan of him, definitely check out this album if, if, if like me you felt like i appreciate his last record but i don't totally love it i think you will have a different reaction when you listen to this album and i know for myself i've gone back to that record after listening to this live album and it it's really kind of made me approach it in a new way i also want to say quick speaking of father john misty mm. you need to go on youtube and look up <laughs> a performance that he recently did in new jersey i think it was at the stone pony where he covered darkness on the edge of town the mm. bruce springsteen song and you wouldn't necessarily think okay how is father john misty going to take on that song and he fucking nails it it is such a great performance his band sounds so good they turn into the e street band for about 5 minutes it's just fantastic so check out the live record go on youtube father john misty darkness on the edge of town you won't regret it yeah i i, I saw father john misty um tour last year it was on humphreys by the bay and yeah it was it really did make the stuff come to life. And you realize that also he's like just a really good physical presence uh, as a performer. So, um, yeah, I think that like we're maybe not yet, but we're maybe a couple years away from like a Father John Misty reappraisal. Like one, maybe like whatever bad vibes people had about him will dissipate and he'll have like a second or third wind even. I think that's I, – I, I would – on the off on the IndyCast off-track betting, uh, I would – you know, I I would take the odds on that. See, there's no reason for me to reassess because I already think he's great. But yeah, I'd love to see that. I think, I don't know. I, I, I feel like most people are still on his side. I think that there is a segment mm-hmm. of, well, actually, that's not true. I feel like whenever <laughs> I talk about him, there's like at least a couple people who have this perception of him that's like locked in 2015. Right. And I don't know how to get out of that. But yeah, he's going to have a long career. He's going to make a lot of great albums. He's already been around a long time. He just seems like one of those people who's going to be putting on albums when he's 70 and will be like, oh, he's still a genius. And at least that's my hope. Um, 
That about does it for this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. 